welcome to the Just Try Ultra podcast, the podcast for the aspiring amateur ultra endurance athlete. My guest tonight is a husband, a father of two. He is a CEO of a tech company and is also a part-time lecturer at the University of Stellenbosch. He's an ultra endurance athlete, more specifically a running athlete, competing in 100-kilometer, 200-kilometer races. Donny Ludic, welcome. Thanks, Wayland. <laughs> it's uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here on the on the show. It's uh, yeah, thank you for the invite. I've probably just touched the surface of who you are and what you do. Please tell us more about yourself. Sure, Wayland. You actually make me quite shy. Luckily, the audience can't. I hope they can't see me blush. But yeah, that's uh, that's quite an intro. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. Um, yeah, I think you summarized all uh, like the on paper stuff that I do. But um, yeah, off the record, um, I just try to uh, to enjoy my my life. I, I try to my kids and and my wife. Um, I think uh, if I could point one thing out, uh, it's it's absolutely you know I, I live for them and they are my inspiration. They are my fun. They are yeah, a lot of basically everything. And apart from that, um, I try to color in my life uh, with, uh, with as, you, as you mentioned, the work that I do. I'm very fortunate to be involved in, in both academia and also in industry. And I try to bridge that gap where, where possible. Obviously, industry takes about 99.9% of my time. Um, but in that sphere as well, I'm blessed with a bunch of very clever uh, young uh, engineers mostly and computer scientists, um, most of which is also in the in the active, uh, you know, in the active scene. Um, so uh, yeah, my day to day is is filled with uh, with with work, family, and then when I do get some time to center myself a bit, I enjoy the mountains. Um, I'm also very fortunate to live here in Somerset West. We live very close to the Helderberg Nature Reserve, which has a an awesome um, mountain, the Helderberg, and uh, got a couple of very nice summits there. So that's my go-to running spot. Um, it's got an, what we call an early riser key, so we can start at 5 a.m., go and enjoy the mountains, and the weather now is absolutely perfect. So I get to see some sunrises. Very fortunate to be in Somerset West to enjoy the outdoors also. You mentioned that you live for your kids and your family. Tell me, do they join you in your training exercises and your training regime to some extent? Uh, obviously not necessarily to the extent that you do it, but do they also join you on some of your training events? Yeah, absolutely. So my wife actually got me into this whole world of exercise and world of healthy living. Uh, she was inspired by her family again, and um, she really also makes a point of it to remind me that the stuff that we do should be an inspiration for our kids, you know. So what we do is we've got a very cool uh, trail running crew here in Somerset West called the Helderberg Trail Run Crew. And where we can, we take the kids on group runs, like on a Monday night at six, there's a 40 minute run. There's a lot of kids involved there as well. It's just amazing to, to see them enjoy the bush and the mountains as much as we do. Um, and it also gets very cool in, in winter time here because then it obviously the sun sets um, quite early and then uh, we uh, take some headlamps for them as well. So they get to run around in the forest with headlamps on and that's, that's an amazing experience for them. Um, and apart from that, we also make them involved. I have a couple of races that I volunteer at. 
Um, so I do try and make them part of that as well. We've got a thing in the Tankwa called the Tankwa Trail Run. Um, and both my kids either run some of the routes. Um, we've got a special kids route this year, 5K Kids Loop. They do that and they help me mark out the trails. Um, we volunteer at a run here in, in Stellenbosch called uh, the Heisgurison Run, which uh, they also take part in. In the trail running scene, the events are fun. Uh, very vibey and a um, bunch of just really awesome people as well hanging out there. A lot of the people actually have kids now and um, getting the kids involved in the scene is, is, is for me quite important because it not just grows the sport and it inspires those, those young ones to embrace a healthy uh, lifestyle. So oh, that's, that's very important, especially from a young age. If you can, if you can instill these principles of healthy living living an active lifestyle, enjoying the outdoors. I think a lot of people miss that point uh, in today's age. We all grow up in a city. We get caught up in this rat race and we miss the point to some extent. We forget how to enjoy life. And you mentioned something very important. This is a way for you to enjoy life. And I can completely relate with that. Ultra endurance events and being outdoors, being in nature, and competing i don't have a family or kids i've got a family but i don't have kids yet but i can just imagine how fulfilling that must be for you another i think another element of it is also it's not just about the fun it's also quite important that you know to enjoy a 5k run for anybody to enjoy a 10k run you actually have to do some work and it's for the first few weeks or the first few tries is going to feel uncomfortable right and and I think guiding your kids through that teaches them a lot of perseverance as well. And that is a skill set that I think is so critical in today's age, you know, because everything is governed by this instant happiness, instant gratification. And in this activities that we partake in, there's no shortcuts. You have to invest in training. Um, even with kids on a 5K, you know, you need to be patient with them and you need to inspire them and say that, okay, even though it hurts, even though you are out of breath now, it's just, you know, it's going to get better. And, uh, and that skill I think is important as well. Um, I remember one of the, like earlier this year, it was so amazing. My son, Benjamin said to me that he wants to run with me in the mornings. So he set his own alarm clock. I mean, he's nine years old. He set his own alarm clock for 5.30, woke up, got dressed, and we did it like a 3K loop here. And that for me was quite amazing. You know, that, that really made me very grateful and proud that they could see something like that as something they can enjoy. Um, but yeah, it's not overnight. It's a lot of investment and it really is a lot of reinforcement. I think positive reinforcement with the kids as well to let them know that it's not going to be off the bat fun maybe for some kids it is but uh, it's it's with a little bit of hard work uh, we're going to get to some amazing places it's very interesting how you just mentioned giving them some gratification through the fact of exercising and, and putting in the effort and then at the end acknowledging the achievement how do you approach it when you go through a tough time or the weather is bad? Do you take the time after you've completed your exercise to congratulate yourself or give yourself some sort of a, a mental reward? Yeah, no, absolutely. You need to file those achievements. Even just waking up at 5 a.m. is already an achievement. Right? You're already doing something that not a lot of people do. 
So like only like two percent, five percent of people actually do. There's a book written by Robin Sharma, the Five AM Club, where he says that that's where you start owning your day. That's the first thing. Um, so I really try and do that, and that builds confidence. And then even if you like a layer on that would be yes, it's cold or it might not be comfortable, but by committing to that and doing that, you actually train your brain to embrace difficult situations as opposed to easy situations and i think it's so important that we do that not just in ultra running but in life you know if you've got posed with a couple of questions lie until 10 wake up early and go for a run choose the more difficult option right um because in the end anything that or most things that introduces a level of uncomfortability or you're out of your comfort zone that type of thing all of that is just an indication that you're actually growing, okay? And, and that's what you need to acknowledge. You need to acknowledge the fact that the pain or the uncomfortability is a side effect of you just growing. You're growing your skills. You are um, you're growing stronger, fitter, physically, you know, emotionally, all of those aspects. And that is a, um, the way in which you do that that's tricky and that depends on person to person. There's a couple of hacks and tricks here and there that I try to follow to do that. But, um, but yeah, absolutely, you have to acknowledge it. And you have to, I mean, you have to be your own biggest fan. You really have to do that because those are the files that you will pull when things are not so lucky. And that is when you're on top of a mountain and it's 3 a.m. in the morning and you're a little bit tired and you want to cry. Then you need to pull out those files and say that, hey man, wait, I've woken up for an entire through an entire winter almost at 4 a.m. I've went out, prepped, went up mountains. I've done a lot of training, so I know how to feel uncomfortable. I can feel comfortable in the uncomfortable zone. Um, because I know when I suffer, I've really actually only done about I've reached about 30% of my capacity. And that's another thing that you need. We are the human body is so amazing. Um, really, the thing that is the limitation is your own mindset. Um, and I think in training, that constant reinforcement and acknowledgement of of, uh, of of telling yourself, right, well done. You know that's that's important, and not saying that. You know, look at the positive things. Don't look at. If I mean, one morning you you sleep in a little bit, you go at six. Don't be. It's the end of it's the end of my my training. I feel like failure. Everybody has those days, um, but yeah, mindset does play a massive role, and you need to be kind to yourself. That's where it starts. Yes, I completely agree with you. So, I was browsing through your Strava history in preparation for this podcast, and. I saw that you've done in excess of a thousand six hundred kilometers this year to date, which is quite a lot for the for the amateur athlete. Um, and just uh, give us a quick guide of how does your average day look? I mean, you've got a more relaxed day where you possibly do a two k with the kids or a three k with the kids, but there has to yeah. be more busy days, hectic days in terms of training, in terms of work, and in terms of family balance. How does your average day look? Yeah, like? yeah. So my, I've learned now through a lot of, um, a lot of experience that if I don't get my training in early in the morning, then it's very difficult to fit it in later in the day because the day gets very 
really busy. Um, in terms of, uh, so I try to I try to wake up at, at, early. I mostly set my alarm for about four thirty, quarter to five. Drink coffee. That's the first thing that I've got. I I don't know if it's healthy or not healthy. I'm not so. I, nutrition, I think, is an entire complete separate science. We can touch on that a bit later. But I need to wake up a quarter to four. If I've got a 5 a.m. run, then I need about an hour to really center myself and not rush. I, I hate rushing. It's you, you already start stressed. It sucks. Um, so so I need about an hour. And then mostly, well, my training program is governed by Harman um, Liebenberg, Harry Liebenberg from SportFit, who is my coach and my friend and just an all-around awesome dude. Um, so he sets up my program usually on a Sunday. Um, and that typical weekday would either consist of a tempo run or a or a couple of heel training sessions. And that will be an hour about max, right? In the week, I don't do more than an hour run. So if I start at five, I'm done at six, six fifteen. Um, then the plan usually is to do a bit of uh, core uh, stretching. So I, I there's a nice online program called Dynamic Runner. It's a it's some it's an online stretching program. I, I quite enjoy that. I try to fit that in. It's about fifteen to twenty minutes. Do I do it consistently? That's another question. And 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 uh, uh, it's that that's the one part of where I do struggle a little bit. But I, I I'm trying to work it in more regularly. Um, yeah, and then it's almost seven, so kids wake up. Uh, and then it's breakfast time, it's getting them dressed. And then I drop them off at school, head to work, and then the day just gets busy. But mostly with meetings, I'm more in the management side. So I work with my team. I really enjoy working with them. Um, and yeah, it's just work then. And then after work, that's when I spend some time with the kids. It's either a run, chilled run in the forest. It won't be more than three or four Ks, about 40 minutes um yeah homework and we try to go to bed fairly early so i think that's also something that i try to work in um as much as i can is rest so so i mean you can't have that program if you don't sleep enough that's absolutely you can do it for maybe two or three days but you're going to crash so i do try and, and, and sleep enough i go to bed at about eight with the kids um we read a story Ugh, midway through the story i fall asleep <laughs> so that's uh that's more or less how that evening goes and um and then it's yeah so that's the week program on the weekends it's it's um it's a bit different well if you do ultra running you have to fit in longer runs on the weekend ideally back-to-back -back type of stuff so on a saturday it'll be a three hour four hour session on average that's uh, also I try to start that early. So it's five or so, five or six, end at about eight or nine, depending on where we run. If it's in Cape Town, I'm, I'm back a little bit later, maybe 10, 11. But we run a lot here in Somerset West. We run a lot in Karabo. Um, and then on a Sunday, I'll take the kids in the morning and give my wife a chance because she's also into the ultra running scene. So we both have to manage this. Um, this training uh, load we're doing sky run later this year together so we um uh, yeah she's also got to get her uh, her sessions in so on a sunday it's, it's more time and then i take the kids to the beach where we um do a bit of uh, we do this life-saving 
stuff here in, in, in Somerset West. It's called the um, Strand Life Saving Club. It's uh, nippers. It's, uh, it's it's like a I don't know. There's a lot of these clubs all over South Africa. So the kids love that. They run on the beach. They swim in the sea. It's it's a lot of fun. So. Yeah, so that's what what our Sundays look like, and yeah, and then in the afternoon I might do a quick um, uh, uh, West Peak uh, loop, uh, but it'll be about an hour and a half or two hours. Um, closer to longer races, bigger races like Skyrun or Maxi or whatever, then then the two sessions on the weekend might become two three hours each. Um, but in general, the program is how I explain it to you now. And you mentioned uh, you you work closely with your coach Her Herman Liebenberg, and that that brings me to my next question, which is uh, the impact that technology has on ultra endurance training and also competing in ultra endurance events. Myself, I've got a Garmin Phoenix Five X, which tracks quite a lot of biometrics while training. These biometrics get oh. sent to my trainer, and he then interprets it however they interpret it and he then produces the training program for the next two or three sessions which is quite a advantageous thing because he constantly monitors where my body is at at that time and adapts the program to prevent things like overtraining or injuries and when you're feeling a bit down he, he picks that up on your on your biometrics that's been sent to him what do you think is the advantages and the disadvantages of technology in the in the ultra endurance circuit and what products do you use yeah i think uh, technology has absolutely revolutionized the way which we train right um so at the moment i'm really paying quite close attention to my heart rate uh about a month and a half ago, I had COVID, so I had two weeks of COVID, uh, well, the isolation. And when I emerged from that, I mean, I'm really talking to Harry quite a lot, um, and we're monitoring my heart rate. We're monitoring what it does with certain workloads. Like if I do a mountain session, um, heel training session, I need to know if it is spiking abnormally. And that's also the benefit now of having all that information logged on a platform, like, for example, Strava or Garmin Connect or whatever, right? You can go and you can compare your body's um, uh, uh, performance on known routes, things that you're used to doing, and you can see deviations. So you already know when you aren't performing on that stretch as, as, as any of the however many times you've done it. So that's a metric that I use to at the moment. So just it's just relevant for me at the moment. Um, I, I like Garmin's products as well. I mean, I'm obviously not endorsing anything um, specifically, but uh, I use the Garmin Instinct Solar. So I wanted something with longer battery life and something that can charge a little bit as well. And it's uh, so far, I'm super stoked with it. It really works awesome. I didn't. I did the Skyrun 100 last year. It didn't charge it once. It lasted throughout the entire thing, and uh, still had some source in it to go on. So yeah, from that point of view. I love it. Um, I think also heart rate is um, if you if you do specific zone training, you can really build a really good base. I mean, if you if you but you have to add some um, discipline to that as well. If you're an athlete that's used to a five thirty six minute per k 
pace, then, and your coach is going to tell you, look, man, you want to run 100 plus kilometers, we're going to have to stop that and do some pace training. And then you're going to have to get used to keeping that heart rate low for a very long time. And that might feel frustrating to you, but the benefits of that are so amazing. So the, yeah, that as well, you're going to build a better pace. And I also can use my heart rate. I monitor even when I'm not training. I can see when I'm starting to become sick. When, when, when I've got a bug or something, I can see the difference in my heart rate and my stress levels. Um, the negatives are when you become too reliant on it, it, I think it has the risk of taking a little bit of spontaneity out of it. Um, you know, you might be able to go that extra percent faster, that extra percent harder. But, and, and then if you're only going to be strictly running according to when this watch beeps, that you're, it should be in this zone and you back off. I think in the beginning of really getting into the sports of, of, of ultra running, but after a while, when you've gained some experience and I'm not there, I've still got a long way to go. Then I think it might be good to, the watch aside and just go for a run just because you enjoy it forget the metrics forget the pace even enjoy the outdoors enjoy the nature and just run and even i mean it's not just the heart rate that we're getting used to it's another pro of all these this gear is that it helps us to navigate so that can be seen as a pro and a con huh? um i think a pro because you're in some spots when when going gets tough uh, you really want to know where you are and you really want to perhaps use something like a backtrack feature to get you off the mountain and that i've had to use with my friend one morning here in somerset west in helderberg which we've run countless times it's just it was just overcast the it, the mountain was just overcast it was 5 30 a.m it was dark and it was misty we couldn't see anything and i mean this guy is an experienced runner he really is he's uh he's he's ran for many years and both of us just had no idea how to get off this peak and then the backtrack features using our watches was was what we had to do so there yeah obviously it can save your life and can get you out of a sticky situation the the con of that also is that you become too reliant on that so i mean you also then maybe it takes away that little bit of effect of exploring and, and going down routes that maybe, you know, finding new trails, finding new things. So, um, but the, the pros outweighs the cons. You don't have to go and get the most expensive thing. I think that's where people also make mistakes. You know, yeah, obviously this, the, the more expensive typically provides a lot of features, but for anybody starting out here, I would recommend the 80-20 rule. I think with with a lot of these devices, with Suntu and Garmin's entry-level stuff, like the Instinct, it's not, it's, it's. I mean, the Phoenix 6S or what's the new ones, those ones are amazing, but it also, you probably have to sell one of your kidneys to afford it. So, um, but but the entry-level ones, that's, that's also great, you know, it's, it's just gets you started, but I would however recommend, if you're interested in ultra running, interested in trail running, specifically get something that can navigate um that should be a, a, a feature that is high on the list so um and and then get used to that train with it a lot you and train I, with your phone as well um i've i've previously told people that get 
get a basic heart rate monitor because I think that is that is the most important biometric you can you can train to. That tells you in which zone you are. That tells you your progress, as you just mentioned. If you're already running with your phone, listening to music or whatever the case may be for emergency purposes, if something might have happened, you can call someone. That is already a tracking device that will keep your speed, that will keep your distance. Accuracy, I don't know. I don't use it for that, but I'm sure I'm sure the, the starter can can possibly just look into getting a basic heart rate monitor and and using the mm. the phone's navigation function as a startup. I, I don't know what's your mm, opinion absolutely. on that. No, absolutely. I did it for a very long time um, uh, because most people have smartphones. And then yes. what the only thing that got to me, depending on the phone, was the battery life. Um, I couldn't find something that had sufficient battery life. Um, so what I used to do to, to, to extend it a little bit was to put it on airplane mode. So I put the phone on airplane mode, and that's also good because then you, you don't really want to take calls when you're in the mountain, and you actually don't want that distraction. So put it on airplane mode, store something like, well, Strava, you can, I, I don't know if it's in the free version you can do it, but you can navigate in the, definitely in the in the premium version. You can navigate in something like FatMap, even that has offline maps. There's a View Ranger, which I think was bought by another company. So there's so many apps that, uh, you can do that and and most of the modern phones the gps accuracy in those things are amazing it uh it uh, it certainly is a, a a good way to start off with and you can pair it as you say with the heart rate monitor you can pair it probably with, with garments bowlers or or any of those so um that's a good uh and other benefit is you can listen to music or podcasts i actually listen to podcasts quite a lot because or audiobooks then you you sort of feel like you are um, hitting two birds with one stone. You know, you get a bit of reading in as well, and you enjoy the environment. So, yeah, no, definitely, phone moderate monitor, good good idea. Tell me, um, you were you just said you went through a stage recently where you had COVID, you had to, or someone in your family had COVID, you had to isolate. Myself, last year, I went through a, a stage of COVID was sort of halfway through. I didn't really get sick, but I didn't find the motivation to train anymore during during the lockdown periods. And, and the fact that I wasn't seeing my, my friends anymore, I wasn't out there participating in social events. I was just here yeah, on the plot, living and neglected training altogether. And I really struggled to get my mental state back to a place where I can wake up in the mornings and say to myself, listen, I'm going to train today. That was a really big struggle for me. How do you cope with getting back from a setback, um, taking taking back what has been taken from you by COVID, by a knee injury, by anything? I don't know where I heard this. It was either on Trail Running Nation, the podcast, or it was in, in a book by Dean Karnazes. That's also a big runner in the U.S., they said that if you feel like that, just commit for 15 minutes. Just say you're going to go to the trail or even, not even the trail, just put on your running shoes and go out of your gate and just commit for 15 minutes. That's it. I felt exactly the same when I had, I couldn't exercise for two weeks. For me, that was 
really difficult um, because I get my, I mean, obviously running is endorphins. It's, it's dopamine, it's feel good hormone. So you, it's almost like a drug, you know? So you need to, if you take that away abruptly, then you're, you're going to go through chemical change. You're going to start feeling very sorry for yourself. And it, it does happen. And then I struggle to wake up early, be a little bit of lenient with yourself. Don't be super hard on yourself. Reward yourself for, for, for anything. And then you really need to relax. If you wake up at six, seven, eight, whatever, just put on your shoes and commit for 15 minutes. That's all. Short things, small goals, small goals. And you'll see that once you reach that, you, you feel like, oh, now I can go for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And before you see it, you can do a three-hour run again. Very easy. It's almost like golf, you know. A lot of problems in life is like this. So in golf, I mean, try to hit the driver. Like you haven't practiced golf for a while, and now you're lying years, 250 meters from the pin. What are you going to do? You need like a three iron or four iron. Yeah, it's a difficult thing to hit. Um, and it, you try it after a while, it just bounces you. You can't tee off. So what you do, what I do is I take something like a seven, eight, nine pitching wedge. Just get that feel of the ball flying through the air. Just that reward. See that, feel good. And then all of a sudden, you feel on top of it again. So it's like solving problems. You know, solve something simple, very simple. You can't dive straight back into the deep end. Um, so yeah, so that's that's sort of what I try to do. I forget about the, when I wake up. I wake up on the weekend at 10. It also doesn't matter. And then I just say that, okay, let's see if I can do 30 minutes around a flat section, not up a mountain. And that helped me quite a lot. Maybe I should be thinking about more things and comparing it to golf. Because as you say, there's actually quite a lot of similarities to golf and any other aspect in life. Um, I'm sure you can draw a line between most most areas of your life and, and golf, even though this is not the podcast for golf. Um, it's quite interesting that you mentioned it. Um, you also mentioned that that running is like a drug. Um, there's a few ultra ultra endurance athletes, people like Rich Roll, um, Tim Davis, Charlie Engel, I think um, that that running man. Mm. Um, those guys, those guys all went through bad addictions, being addicted to to alcohol, being addicted to drugs, and then then they've turned their lives around and went into the ultra endurance circuit and really became ambassadors for the sports um, in each of their sections. Mm what mm. so you mentioned that the family your family got you into into the ultra running circuit and and into the healthy lifestyle what else mm. is there did we did we miss something what else are you not telling us so i um used to be quite unhealthy you know i i i, I worked quite a lot i studied quite hard university for example i didn't pay attention to to my health at all i just for me studying was everything and then well luckily i met my wife Sunel, who we also know in my second year and third year and and, and she showed me a uh, definitely showed me a, a better um approach to a more balanced life okay so i think at an early stage i don't really have this concept of balance and i, I probably still don't to a large degree i i don't have this for me it's the settings are one two and then 11 not really 
seven, eight in between. So I have that personality trait, and it and it it's got it, it really has an effect on on various aspects, as you say. Most of those people you you mention as as a form of 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 issues, and I've got my fair share of problems as well in that regard. Um, so I think I need to channel my energy, and for me, if I don't channel it towards something good. Um, it can very easily go towards something that is, it's either overwork or it's just not living a balanced life, healthy lifestyle. I mean, I used to smoke quite a lot. I used to drink quite a lot. I don't smoke or drink at all. Um, and, and I think running is the one thing that, Okay, you can overdo it as well. If you don't, if you're not careful, you can overtrain, or you can not just overtrain physically, but you can spend so much time in the mountains that you know your family never sees you, and then that's not good either, right? So, um, so I think it it is it is um, it is something that um, that that I'm very grateful for that I brought into my life that helps me to channel a lot of my 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 focus a lot of my my energy as you as you may right um and i think for all those names that you mentioned it's a very similar thing um you there's no seven or eight in life there's only a one and a two or a 11 and you need to dial be careful what you're going to dial up to 11. Yeah, it's very interesting for me. I find that most, uh, or not most, quite a lot of people that that are into the ultra circuit do have this like extreme, either everything or nothing uh, approach to find a balance. If you don't find a balance, something is going to be the victim of of that of that unbalance, and it's probably not going to be your training because you have a big passion for that. But those things are going to slowly creep into other areas of your life. So it's quite important to early on find that balance um let's and let's make, get people involved uh, so i just sorry for interrupting but no. i think that's where and and with this the risk is that it becomes a solo thing right it can because a lot of the training is solo but i do at the moment i really enjoy training with my wife quite a lot last year we didn't do that so much but because we're going to do um some of the longer races together it's awesome, you know. We get to spend some time together. We get to chat. Um, I'm grateful for my kids, but as you will probably learn in the future, when you've got kids, you know, you're all of a sudden discussions between you and your wife or something it takes it, it really takes the backseat. So you don't get to spend that quality time with your partner. But that's something that I that I'm very grateful for for the longer runs in the weekend when kids can maybe go play with friends or so on that that we get to spend some time together, and then just getting them getting when you get a chance, make them part of this whole thing even if it's a race even if it is a hundred k race or a hundred mile or whatever, you know take them to the event. It's such a cool setup. It's got people that's going to inspire them, athletes, pro athletes, elite athletes that they will see, get them part of the support crew. I think for me, the best one of the best feelings was we finished 13 peaks and um, on the last stretch up Signal Hill, both my kids were there and they were running with us. Not just my kids, but some of the other kids in the group as well. My a good friend of mine, Brett Natras, is. Um, um, his wife is also a, a coach. She's actually coaching Chanel 
their kids were there as well and they're all just running up signal hill with us it's such a rewarding experience and it's just things like that i think helps you to retain that um perspective and, and balance a little bit you think you've got a highlight of your ultra ultra endurance career would you say this is a highlight or is there another highlight that stands out for you sure it all really just started last year about March when I ran around the house. Um, I haven't done, I didn't do a 21. The, the furthest I've done before that was 21K. And it was a very long time before I did that last year in March. Skyrun 100 was for me definitely the starting point. You go through all of the emotions that you can possibly think of in your life in, <laughs> in 25 hours. That's what happens. Okay, so you go from through all all of them and 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 that's almost like a cleanse in a weird way like a detox so people ask you why do you do that that feeling that um that feeling you get when it's very cold dark and you're on top of a mountain and you need to leave a hut where somebody just gave you warm soup and choose to go back into the cold <laughs> and finish the last 30k or 20k or whatever Making that decision and getting it right is the ultimate high, the ultimate reward, right? So on each of those right, these races, these long things, overcoming that challenge, I think, and the feeling you get afterwards, you really build your self-worth and you really get to build trust in yourself. And then when you face other problems, you know, you relate it back to those things. Um, so those are the highlights, those, those decisions that you've got to make but so not all of those decisions ended up great i mean we we did um i did maxi race that was an amazing experience as well you're in the front mountains um and then earlier this year we did a good friend of mine called uh, stanley reed is uh he's, he's also kind of very big inspiration for me in this um in this sport this he's done some amazing things and i really value his advice um uh, in this, uh, he's got a lot of experience in this uh, sector. But in any case, he had this race called Malbok, which is you run from either uh, what's it, Calfinia to Sirius or Sirius to Calfinia along the longest dirt road in South Africa. Um, and we call it the, that dirt road is called the R355. And this challenge is called the Malbok Challenge. And we went this year in June or July, and it was ice cold. And we started running that thing. And it was a big group of us, just like open source running vibe, no formal race entries, anything, just a group of friends. We're going to see if we can do this mobile challenge. And there I had to make the call after 130 kilometers that I can probably go on, but it's probably going to cause permanent damage on my on my on my feet or my Achilles or whatever or my knees because I just didn't train with that in mind I didn't focus on that so I also think you know that, that that's also highlight for me I I learned to call it and to say that look you know it's I've got to stop it's not a good idea to go on it's just a strategic decision and it's the best decision um, and that also, I think, is a highlight. So each of those things are, are fairly unique. Got a couple of plans, obviously, for next year and for the rest of this year. Um, and the other things that also obviously stand out in these races is the people you do it with. 
So I've, over the last year, I've met such an amazing group of people and not just in, you know, athletes perspective, but what these athletes also do for communities and education. I mean, I run with a guy called John Thorley. He's got a group, uh, a nonprofit organization called EduNova. And we run with them quite a lot. Um, and uh, it's raising money for education in South Africa. Uh, and it really is amazing. He's, he's doing some great work in communities. He's enabling people and he's inspiring people by getting a group of people, a group of runners together and running for a cause. And it's a great cause. So things like that, I think, is also, um, you know, also a highlight, definitely of uh, my exposure to these these events and for, and being part of this these running groups yeah no i can only i can only imagine the the emotions you must you must feel when you do these things and 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 the amount of self discipline you have to have to take yourself out of this comfort zone like you just said you just you just receive a nice warm bowl of soup and now you have to go out into the extremes and try and force yourself to to be content with it and be, I'm not going to say happy because I, I refuse to believe there's happiness involved in that decision, but the happiness comes after that. The gratification comes after that. As soon as you've, you've, you've overcome and you've jumped over this hurdle, you realize what an achievement it actually is. And just from what I've gathered from listening to you is that has been trained into you during your training process via the fact that you wake up at half past four in the morning and you allow yourself to feel victorious for just the fact of waking up at an uncomfortable time maybe it's cold outside maybe it's windy maybe it's rainy but you you give yourself that small victories even in the training scenarios which i think is very very important let's um and and you know what i just want to add there for you that um I think a lot of people that miss out on that because they are pre-programmed with this thing that, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can never wake up that day. I can't. This month, I'm not going to enjoy it. Just try it. You've got absolutely nothing to lose. So, and, 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 and that, I think, is the biggest danger for anybody when you want to get going with not just this sports, but it's, it's, it's having that positive mindset attitude even before you start so and and that if you even think about ultras whether it's cycling swimming running the first thing you gotta do and train is your brain and your mind that is the first thing because that is the thing that will pull you through it's going to be 60 or 50 percent physical and the rest is mental and i've had discussions you know where we even say like it's more 70% mental and 30% physical. And even before you start this journey of ultras, you need to make sure that your mindset is right, that you are open to the fact that you are probably going to achieve much more than you think you can. Um, we actually spoke of um, the first 21 I did was with my wife and my mother-in-law. Which, uh, which actually is a very big inspiration for me. She's run many comrades. She's done amazing things as well. And um, the first time I ran more than 10K was because we were training for this 21. And it was because of her birthday. She turned 50 that year. And we got a big group of people together. 
here in Cape Town, the family, and we did the two oceans. And I just nearly died on that 21. After 12K, Sunel said to me, you remember after 12K, you were like sweating, you were a funny color. You, um, you said to me that I should go on. You just wanted to stop. And if you told me that time that we were going to run, but like 130 or 120 kilometer distances, there's like no way I could conceive that even finish. But I did finish that 21 and I did feel amazing. And that actually started a succession of a few 21s. We did the Eisner Marathon uh, and, and those standard type of 21 races. Um, and then when I did the 58, tried it, I mean, everybody was really bored in lockdown. We all did some interesting stuff. And um, I'm very glad I did that. Also partly to raise some funds for my sister-in-law's horse farm. Um, but after that, I just, that thing clicked where, gee, we are really capable of much more than we set out to do. So anybody that wants to take on this journey of ultra running or ultra cycling or swimming or whatever, First thing is be open to the fact that you are capable of so much more um, than what society and what anybody programs, you know, you know, people are so inclined for negative negativity. It's like, I don't know why there's, there's this, the, the natural thing is, Oh, it's going to be difficult. I don't do that. And get out of that. That's the first thing. Exit that group and start thinking positive. That's training number one. And then you start building in the other things. Yes, I think that um, just adds on to what you said right at the start for um, the sort of, we live in a society where entitlement is quite um, quite prevalent everywhere. Um, I think the fact that you have to go and you have to endure a little bit of difficulty to actually get to the gratifying part is, is not really the way that society is um, geared at the moment. And we need to, like you say, break away from that to really get to know yourself. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, but, but let's, let's quickly cycle back to, to diets. You, you mentioned earlier, we, we, we can briefly touch on that. And, and I've, I've got one simple rule, and that is don't do anything in a race that you haven't tried before in training. It's as simple as that. I've never, I've never trained with a dietitian, but I've also never competed in a Malbook challenge. Uh, Malbook for all the English listeners out there is basically translated as crazy antelope. So it's it's really a it's really a case of being uh, not lacking the head and running two hundred k's or what, however long it might be. Um, but let's let's quickly talk about diet. What is your approach? Do you Upon entering a, a race, do you consult a dietitian to figure out what is your um, calorie needs? What are your what are you what is your expectation of the race? How are you going to approach your your calorie intake versus the the amount of calories you burn? Yeah. So what I try to do is absolutely you said it. The golden rule, I think, is don't try anything on race day that you've not trained with for at least a few times, for at least a month of training. I won't go and experiment with another version of USN's caffeine just because the packaging looks cool. That is dangerous stuff. So I train at least a month on some form of nutrition. So the type of stuff that I, I work it out at about 200, if I'm in a race, it's, it's an intense race, it's about 200 calories an hour. 
That's what I try to average on. And I've got my watch set at every 45 minutes, you've got to eat. So in the beginning of a race, long thing, I want to have some solid stuff, right? So what I what I've I've tried is is it's actually quite a nice recipe. Take I didn't I didn't start it. I I uh, I I got the advice from uh, also another very inspiring dude called Wayne from. He's got a shop here in Stellenbosch called Outdoor Escape. He said to me what he liked was you take white bread, right, and then you put marmite on butter and marmite on it and you sprinkle built on shavings but the fine powdery one right and you roll it as a sushi roll and you pack a bunch of those little things in a bag gives you salt gives you substance and i did it last year on skyron and it, it's really it was really nice so the but the solid stuff that um you i think in the first let's say 20 hours or so i can still eat a lot of things after that you want, I'd, I'd prefer more soup, soup of like soup maybe, or stew. Um, but that's just the solid things. I do like far bars and fast bars as well for shorter stuff. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a 30K or a 40K. I'll have a couple of far bars. So every 45 minutes, I'll have a far bar um, and tailwind. So tailwind nutrition is absolutely amazing stuff for me personally um it works really well it has a lot of things that it it basically has all the calories in that you need so if you're somebody that struggled to take in solid food on a race i've done many stuff just on tailwind and um and that is the uh, alternate between either the caffeinated or the uncaffeinated one if i'm if i know i'm not going to be busy through the night i might opt for the uncaffeinated one but if i know i need to stay awake as well then um then the caffeinated version is, is certainly something that that that'll opt for but you can't even try out the caffeinated one the first day on a race you need to get your body used to that as well <laughs> um like my wife i mixed some caffeinated stuff for her and her heart rate just spiked. she started feeling funny just because she didn't train with it um I do try to avoid goos and gels early on. That I will take later on. Like goos, liquid energy, I love that. Um, but later on, when I need a bit of uh, energy, when I'm not so inclined to eat solid stuff anymore, I know the race is near the end. Spikes are going to be, because hey, those things make you spike, but it also makes you come down, right? You can't sustain a race on that. So that'll do towards the end of the race. But... Um, I think that's just on race day. Apart from that, we do eat quite healthily in our in our family. So my, my wife makes amazing um, food that is, I'd say, primarily plant-based. Um, I recently read a book by Scott Jurek, who's a vegan runner in the US. And I mean, you mentioned Rich Roll, you know, he's a vegan as well. He's a very big advocate for plant-based um, nutrition. We do eat meat. We live in South Africa. I love to braai. It's you know, I just don't braai every day. Um, <laughs> and but we do eat primarily plant based. And I found that by doing that, my recovery time also reduces quite a lot. So I'm able to run every day without really an issue. Um, whereas opposed to when I eat a lot of meat and a lot of 
carbs and things like that, I tend to feel stocky. I tend to feel a little bit more lethargic. Um, so I do try to limit my diet to plant-based stuff primarily. Um, and then on race day, apart from the built-on shavings, I don't really fit in any... Uh, I, I, I also keep it plant-based. So I, one of the best stuff that I've really used, which which was on Malbok, okay, it was really cold, so it worked really well, was barley soup. So rich soup with barley and vegetables in it. Um, that also worked superb. Um, so yeah, that's the type of stuff that I do. Just on... Um on these plant-based diets and plant-based nutrition and food, I experimented with doing a, a bit of plant-based eating, mostly plant-based. There was there was some meat in it. But uh, in the morning, I had to eat a half a cup of beans uh, right when I wake up. And the first day I, I made it, I read this packaging, and it said you have to cook this beans for 20 minutes, and then you just leave it in the water for an hour and then you can eat it um, and i mean it this is hard beans so i <laughs> put these beans in in the boiler for 20 minutes i took it out and i left it for an hour and then i ate it and <laughs> it was like chewing rocks it was the worst experience and i really wanted to give up <laughs> i finished that meal and and I recently then realized if you want to go into a plant-based diet, maybe Google some proper recipes. Yeah. <laughs> That's because there's really nice recipes out there. Um, just open yeah. your mind to it. Don't don't be set in stone on just eating meat because we're South Africans. I mean, you you yeah. clearly are um, also also introducing plant-based meals into your diet, which is I think a good thing. Balance is great. I think that's the that's the key of it all. Yeah, it is. And and I mean, you obviously didn't consult your wife before you tried that experiment. I've got something like that. I would I would not try myself. But um, but what I do do that's really easy is you can Nutri-Bullet almost anything. Um, that was a great investment. So my dad gave me a Nutri-Bullet for Christmas one year. I didn't really use it. And then I started reading a lot about in the effects of plant-based eating on on ultra running and so on and i think actually in richard's roles book he said that um you know he nutri bullets everything or his podcast i heard he nutri bullet he's got a nice blender so you put in anything just and there's so many recipes for awesome smoothies you know to kick off your day so peanut butter i mean you can blend Hey, you usually blend like in the morning broccoli and some banana, apple, carrot. Um, and put in you can even put in a bit of cocoa powder. Yeah, so there's so many smoothie recipes. Nutribullet has many recipes that you can that you can it's easy. It's easy to clean, takes you even up to take 15 seconds, like a minute, maybe to prepare the stuff, and you got it on your way to work. So you need to keep it simple. Uh, if you are going to try that type of diet and try and make it very elaborate and try to make it well you can obviously scale it to whatever your preference is but my advice on that is to keep it simple and something like a blender like a Nutribullet really really helps quite a lot there <laughs> for next time by now 
I've recently um, figured out how to how to actually make beans and and I actually make them quite nice. Um, when you are around, I'll nice. I'll give you some beans to try. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> Tell me, what do you what is your approach on missing a training session? In the beginning, I felt very bad about it, and I avoided Harry. Like I didn't want to send him a WhatsApp thing. And then I realized, hey, I'm just going to talk to him. I'm going to talk. Or Harry asked me. You could see I'm struggling a little bit with time, maybe, or this or that. It's okay if I really get into that space of life is hectic. Then life happens, you know. Life happens. This is not my profession. I do it for fun. If it was my profession and it was my income, depending on the line, then I could really go and and um, take it up more seriously and and have a good think of where I want to go in life. But I I try to follow it as best as I can. And if I can't get to a training session because life's too busy, then that is it. Then that's okay. But I do find that I'm more inclined to keep to it if I make it my number one priority when I wake up in the morning. There's nothing else is, is, is in front of that. Don't open, wake up, open your eyes, read your emails on your phone. You know, I try to avoid that type of stuff. Um, I just go to the coffee machine, lie, do a bit of breathing exercises, you know, just chill and go out. Um, I try to put my phone on airplane mode even the evening beforehand so that I don't get those email influxes or you know which podcast I'm going to listen to on the mountain or on the run and prepare. That's the other way in which you can really try and keep to your training regime is prepare the night beforehand. If you know you've got an hour of real sessions, make sure your shoes are ready. You know, you've got your recovery drink maybe or you've got your water ready, hydration pack, whatever you run with. Um, so that you don't need to scuttle in the morning. Um, that also helps quite a lot. Um, but then if you miss it, you miss it. I leave it and I go on with whatever the program says next. Um, unless it's something like an easy tempo run or a relaxed run, you know, maybe then I can catch it up tomorrow. Um, but I generally just try and leave it. it happens. Even with longer runs. I mean, it happens. Sometimes weekends are crazy and can't get to it. Uh, and then it should be okay. I've heard, I've heard before. I can't remember who said it, but it's, it's and I can't remember the exact percentage. But it was something like, training program is designed so that eighty percent of your training program completed will help you complete the race. And and I think that's the that's basically what you're getting at. Don't don't try and catch up. Um, that's that's really also introducing the possibility of overtraining if you have to now all of a sudden train three days in a row, whereas normally you would do one day have a day off and then do two days. Um, it's quite a lot of negative things that can come in, except if you maybe have a few easy runs scheduled in that time, then there's a possibility of moving it around. But I also don't um, necessarily do it. I don't do it at all, actually. And I don't think people should do it. Um, you, know, you are allowed to to make a mistake or miss, miss an opportunity or miss a training session here and there. And, and 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 I think what's important also is that you should be if you if you are using a coach, then you need to be in communication with that person regarding all aspects of your life, right? Be honest. So you need to say that just you know what I do with Harry is we typically work towards goals. So one of the goals this year was 13 peaks. 
then we had about 10 weeks. So I said, out 10 weeks. And I said to her, look, do you think it's possible? We wanted to go for a one-day badge. That's not allowed anymore, as far as I understand. And then I said, yeah, it's going to be tough, but we're going to do it. And this is the training program. And so we had that end goal in mind. And then even if sessions were missed or whatever, you still know that that's what I have to keep in mind, where I need to get to. And a good coach, like I'm so happy that Harry helps and works through the fact that you can't always stick to a rigid program. It has to adapt. So I think the sign of somebody that really helps you in the in and guide you with training sessions is somebody that can adapt to it as well or you you'll learn how to do it yourself you know um but but i i enjoy that part is communicating with him and really i'm open look i'm not feeling so like i'm not feeling so well i'm going to dial it and then he dials it down he adapts the program according to that or i'm feeling a little bit tired and i give feedback so that feedback ses- section is is very valuable as well I also know Herman, he lives in Bloemfontein and you live in Somerset. So it's it's really miles apart as the as the saying goes, but um, but technology makes it possible for you guys to actually train in such a way that that it's almost live, um, live feedback. Um, well, he did do the 13 peaks with me. So he <laughs> what an amazing coach. Uh, he comes and he and he does these things. Uh, um, okay, but is 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 I mean he's also a good friend. So, yeah. um, but uh, but yeah, no, technology makes it makes it amazing. The world is is really small. I mean, you can have Zoom, and I think this is also what COVID taught us. Huh? I mean, you can you can talk to somebody. It doesn't really matter where they sit. You can train with somebody. In COVID time, I used, uh, my one of my great friends. He um, he every morning at seven, we'd have like a thirty-minute run-in-place session, and we just had Zoom open and we just chatted, and we did that for what almost like two months, <laughs> and it was amazing. Just catching up, we ran in place. I don't really know if we did anything. I know you got your heart rate elevated a little bit. You got sweating a little bit, and you just had that interaction. That was one of my favorite things of it. Um, yeah, Jock Esterhazy. He's a what a wonderful guy, and yeah, stuff like that. I mean, technology really does make it possible to to do training with almost anyone. So if I if I look at the average runner. Like you earlier mentioned, they they generally do like a five k, a ten k, and they they try and do it like in a five minute, five minute thirty, maybe even six minutes a k. Um, that's sort of a a real attainable goal for the average runner, I would say. You you completed in the two oceans twenty one k. Then looking back, or almost ten years later, you start doing two hundred k's, or you at least aspiring to do two hundred k's. Um, what do you think is the is the first step for the amateur average athlete to become a amateur endurance or ultra endurance athlete? What is the first step? I think you need to get yourself a mentor that already has experience with this. Okay, whether it's cycling, swimming, or running. I'm going to speak about running. Um, you need to the the biggest mistake that you can make is try and ramp it up too quickly 
So you can't increase your training load per week. The, the amount of kilometers you tackle by more than I'd say 10 to 15%. So if you run and you just keep things like if you're used to running 5K, keep it there for two weeks or so, two or three weeks, have a rest week and then start looking at maybe 8K sessions, you know? Um, or, okay, let's talk in weeks. So if you're used to running 20Ks a week, okay? You can't now go 20, 40, 60, okay, now I have 80 kilometer weeks. You, you need to keep on 20 for a certain set, set time, a couple of weeks, and then increase it by, let's say, 15 to 20% at the maximum. You need to go to something like a 30K or a 35K a week. So I think the biggest thing for people starting out with is, is, is being, is, is try and get a mentor, get, try and get somebody that, that can guide you through those, those, that, that type of um, uh, information and, and read up. I mean, there's so many resources. Um, if what's going to happen, if you ramp it up too quickly, you're going to get an injury. And that is, difficult thing that you don't want that's that it takes time to recover from it recovering is not is not uh, is not uh, peanuts so and i think a lot of it is just too too much too fast um so in ultra running it's all about patience huh? it really is it's you're gonna you need to know you're going to be on your feet for upwards of 25 hours you know some of these races are are crazy. I mean, if you look at, you see what the guys are doing on the big backyard ultra now in the US. That's like this one where it's a 7K loop. I think one guy, I don't know, this morning was still running. It was ended up at 540 kilometers. And that was after like, I don't know how many days. Um, that's really crazy. I'm trying 85 yards. But so it's what it's, he was 570 kilometers. And 3.5 days of running, Harvey Lewis. It's crazy. So, <laughs> yes, it's it's amazing. But I mean, that guy didn't start off with a week of 5k, 10k, 100k, 200k. It's it's a it's a couple of years. So getting into ultras, it's not a quick fix. It's not an instant fix. If you want to do it right. If you want to do it right, it's going to be a couple of months before you start going above 42 kilometers, which defines an ultra, basically anything above marathon distance. But get some guidance on that. Get some guidance on the training. Work out a plan. The, the critical thing there is to, to know how to scale your weekly distance. So, yeah. Um. And that, that sort of brings me to my to my last topic as as advice to 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 young or aspiring ultra endurance athletes. Um, I had a I had an experience this year where I did the Sony to see, and people always tell you, don't change your gear. And I just thought I need a new bike, and I bought the bike, and I got it on the Wednesday, and the race started on the Friday. And it's a three-day stage race where you where you ride for 270 k's in the mountains, and um, and I got this brand new bike, but it wasn't really set up exactly as as my previous bike. So, and I used anti-chafe cream and and all of the all of the stuff that you need to to really prepare yourself for these ultra endurance events. Because I mean your your body goes through all the paces, and just being a newbie. 
take advice from the from the from the people that's done it before and what what advice or what experience have you had in terms of anti-chafe or let's rather call it the lack thereof um have you had a bad experience and do you even use it i know there's some people that don't need no. that don't need to use it no no absolutely i'm so fortunate to have had at the tankwa trail run our event that we host every year in september in the tankwa karua one of the sponsors for that was squirrels nut butter and squirrels nut butter is the most amazing anti-chef cream it's a natural product it's made of nothing synthetic, nothing weird added. The reason why I started using that is because I, I knew about it, but I didn't really, I don't know, I, I never really shaft until we did the Malbok. You just, 200 kilometers, the same type of movement. At a point in time on my hydration bag, I took out one water. I just left one water and I had a tub of anti-shafting cream here and water. That's how painful it got and how critical i would rather sacrifice some hydration just for that to shepherd um but uh, and and you'll you'll learn where and how to apply that um and they also make small tubs that you can take with you but yeah no that's 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 a very important thing or even not just gear in the sense of um uh you know shoes or bike or a helmet or a light, even like a, a, a headlamp. Right? You don't want to mess around with that thing if if you if you haven't tested it out thoroughly. So so stuff like that, but but not all that, even clothes. Like if if you have new clothes and that seam on the clothes is not in the right place, or it's just slightly out, or maybe you bought a lady specific one or a men specific one by accident and you think oh, it's going to work it doesn't in the world of ultra racing everything gets amplified by a factor of like a hundred so if that thing's going to bug you a little bit it's going to bug you a lot after 15 hours 20 hours so no you need to test out your gear absolutely it's critical same thing about the nutrition. You're not going to try anything new on race day. Um, but, you know, in the end, you're going to make mistakes. Everybody's different also. You know, I, I asked my one, when I, when I, you know, I, I can't remember what I took or whatever. And he said to me, hey, man, you need to learn as well. So, you, you know, that is part of the fun. You, you're going to, you, everybody has their own journey. And um, and I think you learn these little things. Um, what what works, what doesn't work, what you prefer. Uh, do you prefer a running belt? Do you like running poles? Don't you like running poles? All those things. Um, what type of shoes you like? Uh, you need to go through. It's not going to be smooth sailing all the time. You're going to have some circumstances where it's going to be uncomfortable. I wish on all of you that's the only thing that you experience and not severe injury, just uncomfortability, and then you change and then you adapt. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a fun process as well. You know, all that is also part of the fun. So I think everyone listening to this podcast is going to take something away from it, be it uh, in the running scene, be it in life. 
um, you've you've really given me a lot of food for thought and given me some some good pointers that I think I can use not only in my endurance athlete career but but in life and 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 that's why that's the important thing. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and giving us a bunch of names that I'll have to go through the show notes and and just list them for for the listeners because there's really some names that you've that you've mentioned that I think is worthwhile mentioning. Um, yeah. and thanks for that. No, thank you. Thank you for inviting and thank you for starting this. I think it's such an amazing topic. It's um, something I'm obviously very passionate about. And I think it's something that, you know, especially young people, just like it's such an, it, it takes you to so many beautiful places. Like you can probably, you know, tell people how beautiful Sony Pass is when you went through that with, uh, with, with the bike. You guys did that with Sony to see. You go through Sony Pass. And that's amazing stuff uh, on on the ultra running, going up these peaks. Some of it is like 13 peaks, it's free. You can go to Cape Town, anybody can do it. It doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg. These adventures doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg. Uh, arm and, a leg. Uh, it, 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 and it takes you to places that, you, that when you experience that, it is amazing. It really is experiences that I'm so happy I'm not missing in life. And, um, and I think this community is so cool in the sense that we're all learning and we're all sharing our experiences and what works, what doesn't work. We're learning from each other. And, and yeah, it's, 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 it's really, it's a, it's a very positive, positive um, scene to be in and to be a part of. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And it's awesome that you're, uh, you're, you're, you're inviting people to talk about, what they like, what they don't like. So yeah, well done. Mm-hmm.